0: We are uh, making our way through uh, this, what can be an uncomfortable book, uh, but it's a book of wisdom. That's what we're trying to say every time. And wisdom is uh, showing us, telling us how to live a good life. A good life in, a, um, in the real world as it is. And so <clears throat> uh, I try to say every week that the, the the wisdom books of the Old Testament, most people group them as Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And the full picture of wisdom is only when you take all of those together. Because Proverbs uh, kind of shows you how life ordinarily works. Raise your, ch- raise your child in the way they should go and not depart from its path. But that's not a promise, and it's not the way the world always works. And Ecclesiastes will look at the broken, complex world and say, actually, we also live in a world where you can have really really good parents and that child departs from the path uh, and so a full orb how do I live a wise and good life uh, has to have Ecclesiastes because it's looking at the world as it is under the sun full of death full of seeming chance uh, full of a time uh, that keeps rolling on and won't stop and it gets really really frustrating um, and so I, it's uncomfortable, but I think it's also hopeful because it's very, very realistic. Uh, It's about life in this world as you will experiencing, saying wisdom can be found there, not by shielding yourself from this hard thing, not by kind of building a cocoon and making yourself safe, but living out your ordinary family, work, and all that in the real world. And uh, these are my resources. I'm mainly pulling from almost everything is from Zach Wine this morning because if Ecclesiastes is always dislodging our comfort, today gets uncomfortable because he's gonna say that to live a wise life in this broken and beautiful world, then it's gonna involve you sometimes saying, I hate this life. And that is, I don't. that's kind of uncomfortable to me. Uh, I just, I don't wanna say things like I hate this life, but from the posture of wisdom, this preacher is going to look and he's going to conclude after some things he's done. He's like, man, I hate this life. And that is not a, that's not language of despair or depression. Uh, It's not even like a a secular thing. That is a God-fearing wise thing that he's going to say. And so the path of wisdom has to be a a path that you can look at some things and say, I actually, there's a wise hatred that Ecclesiastes is going to ask you to wear in this life. Uh, And maybe that makes you uncomfortable. I don't know. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, Lord, uh, we always want to um, well, say what, uh, uh, what James uh, asked us to believe, that um, we have not because we ask not, and uh, you tell us if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask you for it, and I know my own study of Ecclesiastes has made me realize how much of a fool uh, I can be, and so would you impart wisdom to us as we discuss things, uh, as we look at your word, but most of all as we see wisdom himself, Jesus, in your son's name I pray, Amen. All right, here's our, uh, our passage. Uh, hopefully you can read that. If not, there's a Bible probably around you, Ecclesiastes 2. Um, and like we said, Ecclesiastes, like all wisdom books, they kind of go back and forth through all these themes. So we're really taking themes rather than just walking through everything because he'll hit on again. And the theme really is hatred what does wise hatred look like okay here's Ecclesiastes 2 this is after last week remember he tests his heart with pleasure with money with power with success with fame all those kind of things and he looks and he says at the end of the day all that was hevel all that was like smoke it's real those are good things but it did not produce lasting meaning satisfaction purpose it didn't answer all the why questions I have and now he turns and so he's gonna he's gonna look at all that with wisdom here's what he says So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who comes after the king only what has already been done. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly and there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head but the fool walks in darkness and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them, he's talking about death. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also, why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. Here you go. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all this vanity and a striving after the wind. Okay, so the main thing we're gonna look at this morning is verse 17, he says, okay, so I've tested my heart with pleasure. I'm looking at my life. I've, I've tried to live a wise life and he explores what trying to live a, a wise life is like in this world. He says, man, I, there's, I just hated life sometimes. And when I saw what death did to everybody, it just seems like vanity. Uh, again, he is, this preacher fears God. He's speaking to us from a place of wisdom um, we know this because in chapter 3, he's going to talk about that, you know, there's a, uh, a time uh, to be born, a time to die, go through, and he's going to say there's a time to hate and a time to love. He's saying that wisdom recognizes there's times for these things. So as you know, I've been trying to start our time with a little bit of discussion so you don't just uh, hear me babble and maybe you get to know somebody. I want you to discuss uh, these three questions for about uh, seven minutes. First, this is, uh, this is actually in a song, but also... Um, it's from Nicholas, uh, I think uh, Walter Storff is his name. He, re- he lost his son uh, when his son I think was in college and he wrote this book called Lament for a Lost Son. And here's what he said, every lament is actually a love song, okay? How, how does, this is what I want you to think, how does what you grieve reveal positively and negatively what you love? I want you to discuss that with the people around you, all right? Secondly, we're gonna talk about hatred. How can hatred and wisdom actually go together? They're not opposed, right? How love and hatred go, and what's the difference between wise hatred and foolish hatred? All right, and then lastly, I want you to ask yourself the, the, the question that, that the preacher asked himself in verse 15. He looks at, at how death comes to all the same, how, how his wise living doesn't necessarily change the circumstances in your life, and he asks, why then should I be wise? I want you to discuss that. What what's the good of being wise if if it doesn't change your outcomes in this life if, if if death comes the same and you're not guaranteed health and prosperity all right so take a few minutes discuss those with uh, those that are around you if you're sitting by yourself go find somebody so all right so let me start wrapping it up um I do wanna hear from you on, uh, on number uh, one first uh, before we go farther. What, yeah, t- tell me what y'all came up with. How is every lament actually a love song uh, or how does, um, you know, grieving reveal what you love? Anybody wanna, how'd you talk about that? Good. Yeah, if lament is uh, a sadness over the loss of something, uh, then uh, I'm only sad over, th- over losing something I love. Uh, so if you never grieve, it means you've actually never loved. Um, good, 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 good. Um, and when we start talking about uh, hatred and grief, I'm not saying those two are exactly the same. Uh, but there, are some, there can be some uh, relations to those things and how they, and how they work together. Um, good, uh, so what did y'all say is the difference or any differences between wise hatred and foolish hatred? That's the other one I wanna, I wanna hear from y'all. or any examples you came up? Sometimes the only want to talk about is kinda talk about what it looks like or what it doesn't look like. But did y'all, yeah, did y'all come up with anything? Okay, Errol said wise hatred would be hating the things that God hates. Good. How do we know what God hates? Do what? His word, that's right. Uh, His word is the straight edge um, that um, shows us what's good and beautiful. And so anything that is not like that uh, is probably distorted. Uh, Basically, anything that does not make it into the new heavens and the new earth uh, is not a part of. Uh, is not the way things are supposed to be. It's things that are twisted. Uh, it's things that should frustrate us and should kind of make us grieve uh, and sometimes even hate. Um, yeah. So the contrast would be the foolish person. The object of their hatred is the wrong thing. They might hate things that God loves, or even maybe the reason for their hatred is is distorted. Um, I'm going to come back to that, but there. Um, I t- foolish hatred is rage and again talk to therapists more than me but rage is, is usually a form of self protection i don't want you to get near and so i'm going to rage but wise hatred is actually from a place of wisdom it's actually it's actually if you share wise hatred it's actually a place of trust it's a place of vulnerability um it uh it won't it doesn't repel somebody, it bites somebody somebody into kind of what you're seeing. So, um, all right, good work, good work. Uh, Here's how I wanna go at it. I wanna wanna give you kind of two scenarios to imagine of how kind of what wise hatred might look like and how you know that, uh, that you know that um, hatred and love actually go together, grief and love go together. Um, This one, my own personal life, when I was like 28 or 29, my grandmother, who we call Mamaw, was my mom's mom. Uh, I know there's a m- bunch of amazing grandmothers in this room, but nobody touched my Mamaw. She like she set the bar. She was incredible. Like she uh, she loved her family. She loved her grandkids. She would she'd go for a walk every morning, pray for us. Uh, she was so committed to <laughs> to fairness. I had t- I had two cousins that were the same age, both so both her grandsons, and they usually they played like wreck baseball against each other. And so she'd always show up at our games. I think she was there sometimes more than my own parents. And if, if my two cousins were playing each other, she would sit three and a half innings on this side and cheer and cheer for Daniel. And then she'd go to the other side and, cheer, and sit the other half of the game on my cousin's side because she, she just wanted to know, I love you exactly the same. Uh, and so she'd like pick up her purse, she'd see her walking to the other side, uh, there goes Mamaw. That, that's like who, that's who she was. And she got uh, ALS. She got Lou Gehrig's disease, which is one of the most cruel diseases I've ever I've ever watched. And so I can remember um, in her last like two or three months, we had had Shelby, who's my oldest. So I ha- we have our first kid, you know, full of like you know just joy. And she wants to meet her, so I bring her over to my grandmother, who is literally bedridden. Uh, she can't talk anymore. Um, she's she's just withered, and I'm I'm holding Shelby for her to see, and she's trying to smile, and she's also moaning, and at that moment there is this just there's just these emotions running through me. On the one hand, I was profoundly grateful because my grandmother's awesome. I was profoundly grateful I had a grandmother like her, and that my grand and that my and that my daughter's getting to meet her great grand her great grandmother, and at the same time I was I was like mad. I was mad at what ALS was doing to her. I was sad that my Shelby wasn't really gonna get to know her because she was gonna die within a few months. And both those things were running together. And I think Ecclesiastes would say that is wisely looking at the real world as it really is. Or reverse it, right? For some reason I'm picking grandmothers and grandfathers because again, if death is the thing that frustrates everything, typically the older we get, the nearer we get, that's to reverse it. Imagine you're a grandmother or grandfather and your, your college-age uh, grandson comes to visit you on vacation and you just have a great time with him. Like you have a meal together, you sit on the porch, you share a coffee, it's so good. And then when y'all get up from the rocking chairs and your knees hurt and, and you, feel, you feel it and, and you hug him and he gets into the car and tears fill both of your eyes, what is that feeling? You are, you are profoundly grateful that you, had, that you had a great time with your grandson, that you know him, but that time seems so short. And you're profoundly sad because you're saying goodbye and you don't wanna to have to say goodbye. And those things, those things run together. That, that is what he's talking about in Ecclesiastes, what wisdom, there is a, there's a love and a hatred that run together. And again, when you look at Jesus, who is wisdom personified, he's wisdom on two legs, He does the same thing. Like when he, in John 10 or 11, John 11, when he comes on the scene of death of his friend Lazarus, one of his good friends, John 11 describes the emotions of Jesus and it says he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. That word greatly troubled is actually the same word uh, that's used in other places of literature to describe a war horse that is agitated and about to go into battle. So Jesus looks at the scene of death and how it's separating friendships and how it's bringing decay, and he gets irritated. He gets angry. And in that same, that same chapter, only a few verses later, it says that he begins to weep. And as he weeps, the crowds look at him and say, oh, see how he loved him. They know that his weeping is a sign of how much he loves Lazarus. And so even Jesus himself you see this great love and this great irritation at things that are destroying the things that he loves. And so that's the preacher in Ecclesiastes two, after he's walked through, you know, if you were with us last week, this is verse one through 11, he tests his heart with pleasure. He sees that those things are good, money and and, and, uh, uh, and success. All those things are good, but. He says, they're not going to satisfy you. They don't really give you gain. You don't really get uh, life's answer to all these complex questions. And he says, when you start realizing pleasure in this real world, and he says, when I put on the hat of wisdom, I'm going to survey it. He says, "Ah, there's just a hatred that boils up in me, which means wisdom in this world means you have to have two disciplines. You have to have the discipline of enjoyment, which we're going to talk about next week, and the discipline of hatred. Um, So, He says, I hated life. All right. This is uncomfortable, right? When we, I think, when I start hearing, like, I don't expect that, I don't expect a preacher full of wisdom to say, I hated life. How can he announce his distaste for life? I'm way more comfortable with someone serving my food and saying, it's, you know, it's my pleasure. Like, yes, that's the way it should be. Or, you know, a preacher just saying, his life is blessed. You're like, yes, that's the way it should be. Those things are true. But if the Chick-fil-A employee looked at you and said, I hate my life, you'd be like, whoa, uh, you know, or, uh, or vanity of vanities, here's your Chick-fil-A biscuit. You would be like, this is disturbing, right? But because we, we think of sometimes hatred of life as a sign of immaturity, but God gives us categories of faith that actually include the ranges of all emotions faithful despair, wise hatred, uh, good complaint. And he says, if you don't know those, you're not living a full, good, wise life in this world as it really is. Um, can anybody name a place in God's word where uh, there's multiple places where he gives us uh, places to express maybe what we would call uncomfortable emotions in faith and showing you that they're not opposed to, to wise life in this world. You might think of passages or, people that did this imprecatory psalms Psalms, very uncomfortable uh people are being oppressed and um persecuted and it looks like the wicked are winning they really are crying out for god to stop the injustice uh and it gets uncomfortable sometimes but it does it it uh because God hates injustice, and so should we. Good. Uh, think about Job. Job, who it keeps telling you he was righteous in everything that he did. You know Job 3, after, you know, he loses his family, he lo- he, he, he's covered in sores, he's experiencing just all the pains and misery of life under the sun. He says he curses the day of his birth. He says, Let that day be darkness. And it doesn't stop there and say, Job, Job shouldn't have said that. Uh, it's showing you, actually, Job's a man of faith and living in this world under the sun and trusting God with it. Even Jesus himself, right? Wisdom personified on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's undergoing the wrath of God, which is different. Uh, than uh, us was the ultimate suffering but he is speaking from a place of uh, of pain so how can hatred be wise here's just a couple things first and this y'all already nailed this this is how it's different than uh, than a uh, than foolish hatred he says he hates life he never says he hates God that's very different right he fears the Lord and so he He's actually hating life because he fears God. He's hating life because he knows who God is. God is the gift giver. God is the creator. He's gonna talk about this God is the provider and the redeemer. So when he sees sees things that are corrupting the good life that God has made, he doesn't hate God, but he hates this life and what life is like under the sun because it's not the way things are supposed to be in the grand scheme of things. So he's actually... His hatred of life here is not in absence of faith. That's what I want you to hear. He is uttering from a place of wisdom. Right, Psalm 18, he says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. He heard my voice. Romans 8, in our groans, he groans and helps us in our places of weakness. Hebrews 4 says, In the time of need, we should come before the throne of grace, knowing that he hears us. Right, again, act, um, ask any therapist, we got tons of good ones, you know, here, Denise, whoever else. Ask them if, if a relationship between a child and a parent is healthy, if the, if the child always feels like he has to tell his parents everything is good, perfect, and happy. Is that a good relationship? It's not. If that, if that child doesn't, doesn't believe that his parents or her parents can handle their anger, their sadness, their frustration. If they have to act like everything's okay because my parents can't handle it, they will actually rot on the inside. Uh, But if that child, and again, you can be a great parent, I know it's more complex than that, but if there's a parent that has the capacity for all of her child, then she will actually risk, she'll argue, she'll fight with her parents, she'll cry in the presence of their love because they know, she knows that, that, that it's a trusted person that can handle it. And just personally, most of my most painful moments when I think about it as a parent, and this is what kind of make me cry, is those moments when I realize because of how I've reacted or because when they did something, what I said or did made them withdraw Rather than uh, open up and trust me, that those those are things that will make me cry, right? Because at that point, I something about the way I reacted said I, I can't handle this, uh, and I need I, I need you to fix it before you can be in my presence. And that is, it's it's unlike how God our Father is, right? That's why this that's why this isn't rage. Raging doesn't let people come near. Rage is self-protection. This is actually wise hatred. And he's speaking to God because he knows, God knows what this world is like and he knows God knows what, he's, what he, he or she is going through. And he just, so he gives it to God. So here's what Zach 1 uh, says. Um, he says, the wise learn to manage life <clears throat> not by frantically trying to glue together the knocked over vase, but by gathering all the shattered, jagged pieces and powdered dust from the floor and bringing them to God. Right, again, it's just this great, like, <laughs> I can remember breaking things that, you know, that my parents really loved when I was a kid. And you had that choice, you're like, okay, I'll try to fix this, right? And you're like, you're like trying to glue it back together and it just looks, and you realize like, the wise thing to do is just to turn to your parents and say, I did this, I'm sorry. And they, they will handle it. Uh, and so it's not, it's not a hatred of God, nor is he saying I always hate life. It's not this cynicism, right? He's gonna say there's a time to love, time to hate, all this kind of things. Um, but he really is saying, as I've lived in life under the sun, I thought, let's put it in our, as I've watched the news, I weep. And as he looks at himself, he knows that, that some of the hurt in this world, some of what's wrong with the world is because, because of me, You know, uh, Taylor Swift came out with a song called Antihero where it says, Hi, I'm the problem. Yes, it's me. Christians should love that. (laughs) Like that sometimes we're like, hi, I'm the problem. Yes, it's me. Part of the reason that the world is painful is because I'm in it. And that should make us weep. And so the third thing is that the fool actually, again, this is what was said here. We're supposed to hate the things that God hates. Love things that God, so the fool actually teaches you to hate things that God loves. The fool says hate God, hate wisdom, hate wise correction and discipline, uh, hate love, uh, hate, hate other people, um, be cynical. Because if you, all those things I described, if you start hating those things, what will come out of you is jealousy, selfish ambition, partiality, all the sins of the flesh, right? But a call to wisdom is to hate the things that are ruining God's good world, that are, that are destroying, decaying, corrupting the things that God loves. Um, so that, that's the call. Uh, so what did you come up with then? Right, as he tries it on and he says, so I consider wisdom and madness... And he says in verse 13, he says, there is a little more gain, right? A little more purpose, a little more uh, satisfaction, verse thirteen in, in wise living and folly. But then he comes back and says, But man, when I think about death and what happens to the fool what happens to the wise, I just say, What was the point? Why have I been why what's the point of living a wise life? Uh, if if you can look at an eight year old who has been wise and an eight year old has been foolish, and a lot of times their life looks just the same. What's the point? What'd y'all say? What's the point of of living a wise life? Anybody come up with something? This is the tension you're supposed to live in. And that is a good reason. On the one hand, uh, Tripp said, well, God tells us to, and it is always good to do what God says, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't, quote, make my life better immediately. And so the first thing, God treasures wisdom. He loves it. And if God loves wisdom then uh then it's worth it because i want to i want to walk in what he loves yeah good anything else okay yeah good yeah glenn was saying there is a quality and in, even though outwardly the circumstances might look the same all right he really is saying you can't use wisdom as a leverage towards God to give you the kind of life you want right now. But, but he is going to say it is better. And when you look from the inside, that's what Glenn's saying, that the quality, the contentment, the knowledge that God is with you, those things actually produce something different on the inside that might not, it might not look any different on the outside. I mean, on the outside, when you're just observing the circumstances. Good. That's awesome, Glenn. Anything else? Yes. And if we're trying to emulate Christ his wisdom, then hopefully us, being wise, can bring other people to. Yes. It actually, this is everywhere. Wisdom also, it, it's, to live a wise, wise life is better for others. It absolutely is. Even if uh, you're in those dark places and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything for you. He's saying it absolutely is, is, is better for others. Um, y'all are nailing it it's good because God commands it and he's wise it might not change our circumstances but it changes us and it actually is, uh, is, is better for others um, and then uh, you could add uh, it testifies to God's character it shows the rea- man especially amidst suffering and stuff wisdom amidst suffering testifies to God's supernatural character in a way that I think other things uh, don't necessarily do that um so uh, here, I'll end with this. And this is an illustration from S1. I'm kind of changing it for myself, but um, <clears throat> if you have kids, it's about to be flag football season. So this is, uh, this is my son's favorite sport. Um, so I'll be coaching for, uh, I think this is my fourth year. Uh, we went six and three last year. We're gonna be better this year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, so imagine you're coaching a flag football game out at M-Trade and the opposing team starts playing dirty, all right? They start like late hitting, they're like holding, you know, they're doing all the things uh, that, you know, you're clearly told not to do. And and they're getting farther and farther ahead because the refs don't care. Or the refs are actually cheering for that team. Okay, in that scenario, what would you, well, I don't wanna tell you what I would do, but what should you do? Because there is a sense, okay, Right, think of that as life under the sun. This is frustrating. We're trying to play the right way and we're losing. And the rest don't care either. Right, I could just take my team and say, we're done and walk off. You know, quit at halftime if that's gonna be, or at halftime I could say, hey, if that's how, we're, if that's how they're playing, let's play that way, right? And, let, and, and it gets nasty. The problem with both of those scenarios, if I walk off the field or we start playing the same way, then, do you know, then you, the only thing being seen on the field is foolishness. That's the only thing that's observed. That's the only thing that's in play. You start realizing that actually, that's not good. That's what everybody else observes. That's, 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 that's the only, it seems that's the only way to live. But what Ecclesiastes would say is the life of wisdom, the resistance movement would be getting out there and playing the same way the second half. Even, even knowing you're not going to win, <laughs> knowing you're going to be going to get beat worse because there's a beauty in the resistance movement of wisdom, of not giving into foolishness. And that in and of itself will be beautiful for people to watch, even if you lose. And he, he's saying, I'd rather have wisdom in play than remove it so that others can see it, so that people can actually be transformed from the inside. And look, he says, you and we all wish the movie would end with, yeah, and then the second half we played the right way and got all the breaks and we won. And, and Ecclesiastes is like <sighs> <laughs> Well, you kept playing the right way and you lost by nine touchdowns. And he's saying, and it was worth it because wisdom stayed on the field. People got to see it. People got to see the good life. And um, So he's saying the way of resistance is, is hating life in the right way, grieving over that, and continuing to cling to wisdom, uh, even even though death's coming, even though uh, uh, chance seems to win, even though sometimes evil seems to win, keep keep wisdom on the field. Um, And that that takes a profound trust of Jesus. So what we'll do uh, next week, Doug asked me to always announce what we're doing next week. We will look at verse 224 through uh, 326, we're gonna talk about if wisdom is the discipline of learning to hate things appropriately, the other side of wisdom is learning to enjoy things appropriately. I love talking about that a lot more than I like talking about this. So. Uh, any kind of final comments, questions? We got like one minute or anything that, that came to you that you wanna share? So why does every Christian movie show you yes, I will say this. Thank you for asking. Now you're on my pet peeve. This is my problem uh, with a lot of Christian movies. They're, they're too clean. Uh, they, they, they do not. I think honor the mess of Ecclesiastes, and the Christian movie always ends with the Christian winning, uh, and that is just not how it always happens. So, not all Christian movies. That, that was an overstatement. That was a that was a statement of cynicism. I shouldn't have done that. Many Christian movies. Yes, in the end, in the very end. That's right. That's just the game. That's right. That's right, in the very end, we win, which is what he's gonna say in Ecclesiastes 12, because God is judge of the world and God loves wisdom and God, see, God sees it that nobody else does. And we're, we're really living by faith and not by sight. So, good. All right, 10.32. Thanks for walking through uh, hatred. That's probably not what you thought you were gonna do this morning, but good walk.